0: I know that this is a, a commissioning of Anthony and Melody but I want to take a moment to speak to you out of first Thessalonians 1 uh, because this is a moment for fresh commissioning for South and chino not just a couple to lead but God uses these moments to catalyze and commission us all in in this season and uh, the Thessalonian church is one of my all time favorite churches when Paul The apostle thought about them. He said, every time I think of you, I remember you with thanksgiving in my heart. And, uh, you know, the apostle Paul was not given to flattery. Uh, He loved every church that he fathered and planted, but he was really honest about uh, the faults and and the weaknesses of churches that he loved. And so he called them out. I mean, the Corinthians, he called them out for sexual immorality and getting drunk at the communion table and The Galatians, he called them out for getting legalistic, etc. And uh, yet this Thessalonian church, which we will find in Acts 17, we'll ping across there, they were planted in three weeks, in three Sabbath days. And yet they came, even though they were young, they came to this quick maturity. So much so that they became a a model church. And I want to just talk about how the gospel shaped them and still shapes us. To be a community on mission. Can you repeat that with me? Community Community. on mission. mission. God wants the gospel not only to save us, but to shape us. To be a community on mission. And I think sometimes when we've been around church for a while, and we hear the gospel preached, we kind of go like, man, tell me something I don't know. Uh, You're preaching to the choir, Tell me something new. And, you know, we live in an age and in a culture of great curiosity where people are discovering new things all the time, and, and the tendency because of that is to go, well, yeah, that was then, but this is now. And so the gospel doesn't really apply to the great complexity of life. And what we find in this church is that they were saved powerfully in the gospel, but because life had got difficult and, and complex, they were drifting away from the first love and faith that they had for the gospel. And Paul basically goes and he preaches to the choir. He says, I know you guys know this stuff, but you gotta, you got to hear it again. you got to hear it with, with fresh ears. You know, the choir needs preaching too, because the choir forgets. And the choir loses the wonder and loses the hope that it first began with. And so we start to drift to other things that actually are not the core of what God has called us to. And so we're going to ask how the gospel is still shaping us, the same gospel that saved us, how it's still shaping us powerfully to be a community on mission. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace to you. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So remember, Paul is, is writing to, to this church that were saved so wonderfully he he describes it like this that the gospel came to you not only in word in other words it was preached as a word but not only in word but it came to you with deep conviction with power and in the holy spirit and you received the word even though there was much affliction you received the word with joy in the Holy Spirit. This was a gospel that profoundly transformed them. But what we actually find is that they'd hit some trouble and some persecution, and so they'd they've begun to lose some, some hope in that gospel. And they'd begun to drift towards other things. In fact, this Thessalonian church had begun to drift towards speculation about the end times. Because life was hard, and you know when life is hard, you just go like, Jesus, won't you just come back already? How many of us over the last two years have just said, just come back already? And so we start to drift from that hope in the gospel to something that's true. Jesus is coming back, but we actually drift towards putting more hope in that than in the gospel that saved us. And we start to kind of see that as good news more than the gospel in and of itself. And how many of us start with, with absolute faith in this gospel that saves us and convicts us and fills us with the Holy Spirit? But then we start to look for other good news, whether it's end times or whether it's career or, or comfort or politics or getting a lot of toys and relationships. And we just go, go like, yeah, yeah, I believe the gospel, but it's, it's, it's not main street. It's like out there in the suburbs of our lives. And something else has become Main Street. And what Paul was saying to these Thessalonians, he was like, no, 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 the same gospel that saved you is shaping you. And it's ringing out from you. It hasn't stopped working. And it's transforming you to be a community on mission. I know that this church preaches the gospel excellently. But you know, it's not just about preaching the gospel, it's receiving the gospel with with fresh ears and with soft hearts. That's what actually makes the preaching of the gospel bear fruit, that people are just going like, man, the gospel is still at work. Lord, how is it going to redeem me today? How is it going to ring out from us today? I was just so encouraged being in your prayer meeting. I want to say, Southlands Chino, you are, for, for Southlands, you are our prayer warriors. You are our faith bringers. You are our joy bringers. Seriously, I'm not given to flattery. Whenever you are in the room in a prayer meeting, I'm just going, thank God they're here. It's going to be okay. And there's incredible faith when you gather. Fifty-something of you together in a room. No room. Absolutely amazing. But what was even more wonderful is the stories of how the gospel is ringing out from you. Just so wonderful. That's why you've got to be in that prayer meeting because actually we need to be reminded that the gospel is still powerful. And I'm always looking for, for new ways to take this old story and help us to see it with new beauty. We'll never stop mining the beauty of the gospel unless our hearts just grow dull. I remember when I first came here 14 years ago. And I thought, well, I mean, I'm a sports guy. I thought I must join an American sports team. So I joined a softball league. And uh, I, I still, I mean, I like baseball, softball. I don't get that kind of thing. I don't know what it is. But anyway, like, I was like, I'm going to learn. Be humble, right? And, uh, and I was kind of mystified that whenever someone would strike out or, or, or throw wrong or drop a catch, they'd always say, my bad, my bad. And I was like, what are they on about? This my bad thing my bad, what are they on about? And then what was even weirder is that the team would go, you're good, you're good, and I would go, no, you're not good, you're bad, like, why are you saying you're good? And then after a while, I asked and I listened and I came to realize, oh, when someone says my bad, what they're saying is, it was my fault, I'm not blaming anyone else. I'm taking responsibility for it. And when the team said, you're good, they weren't actually saying you're good. They're saying you're actually bad. But they were saying, it's, it's good. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. I just thought, man, in American culture, and I wish my bad, you're good, would extend to relationships and marriages and church conflict. Take it off the sports field and put it into The rest of our lives. But this is a picture of how beautiful the gospel is. When we say, my bad, and we stop blaming others, and we take responsibility, it's my fault. God says, you're good. And when he says, you're good, he's not actually saying, you're good. He's saying, you're bad. But because you're owning it, and you're putting your faith in my son, who is good, you're good. You are justified. You are pardoned. You are reconciled. And I want to tell you, let's never stop saying, my bad. Let's owning, owning it, so that we can hear the Father say, in Christ, you're good. And this is what Paul was wanting this church to do. Do you realize that the gospel is at work, reconciling you as a community? And there's really just two big ideas here that I'm going to draw out. And and, and the first is that the gospel shapes us. The gospel shapes us or forms us as a community through sacrificial love and service and endurance. This was a compelling community shaped by the gospel. They hadn't just been saved by the gospel. The gospel had actually reconciled them into a community. And he brings forth this beautiful truth. He says in verse 4, For we know brothers loved by God. What he's wanting them to understand is the gospel is not just vert- vertical, the gospel is horizontal. That you're adopted into a family, your brothers, your sisters loved by God. And that looked a certain way. He said, This gospel has shaped you to have a faith that works, a love that labors and a hope that endures. That's what he says in verse 3. And I want us to think like, what does that look like when the gospel has actually shaped us to have a love that labors? Love that labors. What we find in Acts 17 is as Paul preaches, this church is formed, and it's formed in the house of a man called Jason, who was Paul's cousin. And people were just coming to faith. It was amazing. It was so rocking the city that some religious people came to drag Paul away. They couldn't find him. They found Jason and they dragged him off and they accused him. They beat him up and they had to post bail for Jason. And I just go, man, this guy, he didn't just love Jesus. He had a love that labored. That word, a love that labors, that word labor is the word kopos, which means to cut with labor pains. You know the phrase, oh, that was a labor of love? That comes from First Thessalonians. He had a love that labors. In other words, he had a high pain threshold for serving the people of God. Imagine Jason. It's like, I'm just opening up my home, and he was arrested, not for preaching the gospel, but he was arrested for Christian hospitality. I want to ask you, what is your pain threshold for Christian hospitality? If Christian hospitality was outlawed, would you be found guilty? And I think what happens is hospitality is inconvenient. And we feel a bit embarrassed about our house. And we want to put the best foot forward. And so we will invite a person once a year for roast beef instead of every week for mac and cheese. Or we'll say, well, well, I'd rather go to their house because my house is too small. We're not told how big Jason's house was. We just know that he had a love that labored. And actually, he was willing to take the hit for hospitality. And you know, this can be a heavy challenge to you. But if we understand the gospel that God was hospitable to us, we were strangers that he welcomed in that Jesus left his home in heaven to welcome sinners like you and I, it hopefully transforms us to open our home, open our wallet, open our fridge, open our timetable, our planner to say, actually the gospel means I welcome strangers and they're not always the most lovable people. But as I do that, the gospel grows the church. I think in our In our age of rampant individualism we think being a community means we lose our individuality but actually if we understand the gospel that we are saved by a God who dwells in community eternally if that's true if God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit dwell in community it means this There are some things about God that we will never understand apart from dwelling in community ourselves. You won't understand it out on your own. You'll only understand it here. I thought that I was very selfless until I got married. And I realized in community that I wasn't that selfless. I thought I was very secure until I led a team And some of the team challenged me. Equally, I thought that I could get through this life with my faith and my prayers. And there have been times when I have not had enough faith to pray. But my brothers and sisters have prayed for me. It's only in community that we experience ourselves truly and we experience God truly. And I know that community is hard. It's not heaven yet. It's not perfect. But God would say it's not good for man and woman to be alone. He wasn't just talking about marriage. He was talking about us being created for community. Larry Crabb, the psychologist years ago, said this. The problem, the biggest problem, is not our damaged psyches. It's disconnected souls. It's people who are trying to follow Jesus alone. But when we understand the gospel, we say, no, it's worth laboring with love in this community because I understand an aspect of God that I would never understand alone. And then they had a faith that worked. I love that. That that their, their faith was actually visible. It was at work. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul says that that your faith didn't just cause you to call out to God. Verse 10, he says, your faith caused you to turn from worthless idols to serve the living and true God. In other words, it was visible. He said, so much so that I don't even have to say a thing about you. In other words, your faith is not just audible, it was visible. Like people in the city were like, well, Joe Bloggs, last week he was bringing sacrifices and gifts to this dead, worthless idol. And next week he's not there doing that. He's serving the living and true God. He's serving the people of God. He's opening his home. It, it was visible. They had a faith that worked. South and I love hearing about your faith at work in evangelism in caring for the needy, in reaching the school. I want to say the gospel fashions us not just to proclaim the name of Jesus, but to have these visible points of the gospel-bearing fruit in our lives. And then they had a hope that endured. Just before I get there, I want to say, I think one of the idols that that God wants us to turn from that actually hinders us from being a gospel-shaped community is sometimes we idolize our gift. What I call our ministry niche. Where we have an idea of like, well, this is the gift that I have and so we enter church. We want to serve, but we want to serve in our ideal little gift niche. And I find myself just going, I don't think... When Jason was dragged off, beaten, and had to post bail, that he was just going like, this is just what I dreamed of in terms of my ministry to the, to the church. This is just my niche. No, actually, the gospel helped him to realize that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And so he just said, well, what's the need? I just want to walk carefully here and say, when Jesus was hanging on the cross for us, serving us in our sin, I don't think... He was just going, this is just my gift niche. This is what I always dreamed of. No, he was actually serving us in our place of need. And I want to encourage you. You are a serving church, but I believe you'll be a more serving church if you go, not what's my niche, but what's the need? What is the need? And you know what? When we serve the need, we often find gifts that we never knew we had. They had a faith that worked and a love that labored. I remember first year on staff as a pastor, and, and, and I'm a worship leader. I love preaching. I've got kind of like this, this life group that's full of like creatives and hairdressers and all these people. And the guy leading the church comes and says, Al, you know what we need? We need an early morning prayer group for businessmen with kids. And I was like, check no on all those things. I hate early mornings. I'm not a businessman, I don't have kids. And he was like, well, that's what we need. That's what we need. So I started that. And you know what? Two years later, I found I loved it. And I found I learned how to pastor business people. And it was different from pastoring creatives. And I look back at that time and I go, that has put me in good stead. I've even loved, learned to love mornings. Didn't love them back then. But where we are willing to serve the people of God rather than to be served, we often discover gifts we never knew we had. And then they had a love, not just that labored, but a hope that endured, verse 3 says. They had a hope that endured. Isn't that beautiful? They didn't just start quick and then peter out. I don't like the fact that my middle name is Peter. I don't like the idea of petering out. But these people endured. They endured through great hardship, great persecution. I want to commend you, Southlands, Chino. Five years on, you are enduring. And you are going from strength to strength. Every time I'm here, I'm just saying, oh, God, thank you. Thank you for the people that even stayed from the old, old days. But thank you for the people that, that started here and are still going. Thank you for Fernando and Carrie. They're still going on. I mean, very few people will endure with youth in college for as long as you guys have. But you're doing it with joy, and I'm sure there's times when it's like the labor pains are strong. One of the beauties of being in a multi-generational church, that you've got teens and 20s, and you've got people in their 80s and 90s, is that for young people, you've got the model of endurance right before you. I want to say, man, if you are under 40, please sit with someone who is over 40 and say, help me to have a hope that endured. How did you get through the wilderness seasons of your life? You've got such mature men and women of faith. One of my best friends, Mike Duggins, I lead a life group with him, and he and his wife are in their 60s, and they lead... Uh, kind of an afternoon group for young marrieds in their first few years. And he says to me the other day, he says, you know what, Al? We've been married for 46 years. 40 years our marriage was in the wilderness. I was like, what, Mike? He says, yeah, in the last six years, we've come out of the wilderness. We are in the promised land. I said, that's amazing. Please don't tell those young couples that. (laughs) He said, oh, no, we do every week every week because we want our timeline to make their timeline make sense because very often if you go through one month one year two years and you're in the wilderness you just go i'm packing it up try 40 years in the wilderness and these people are here for your endurance sit with john and naomi and say man tell us how you got through the wilderness years sit with mike and laurie and say Tell us how you parented kids as they grew up and held on to faith still with pain. Sit with Tom and Natalie and ask them, how is it that you, you, you remain in faith and joy all these years? Because you've seen some things. Make the most of people that are enduring. This is the quality of a community shaped by the gospel. I love that labors faith that works and I hope that endures community, gospel shaped community is like a body with a jacket on during the summer months a jacket feels hot, constricting like a straight jacket and you just want to shrug it off but during the winter months You go, oh, I'm so glad I got that jacket. You might be going through the summer of your life and you go, I don't need community. Wait till the winter and you'll be glad you stuck with it. Be glad you stuck with it. Second big point. I've only got two, and this is shorter than the first. You doing all right? Every church exists ultimately to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of Jesus. So first, Paul commends them to being this, this community shaped by the gospel. And then he moves on just to say, do you realize the gospel that saved you is not only shaping you to be a community, but this gospel is ringing out from you. I love that. And this is a tension, isn't it? We are called to be a community but we call to be a community on mission. In other words, we want to be warm, covenantal, sacrificial, joyful, intimate, but not so intimate that outsiders can't get in. We always want to be a community that's pivoting outwards for our non-members. Jeff Vanderstelt said this mission without community creates mercenaries. So, you don't just want to be like out on your own on mission. That's like mercenary. Community without mission is codependency. Don't be that kind of community. Just so codependent that you're not on mission. This is a wonderful tension to manage. But this is what Paul said about them He said, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth, from you in Macedonia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us. I mean, people were reporting not just the quality of their faith and their community, but it was sounding forth. Everywhere the gospel was being preached, their community, the quality was sounding forth. There's a beautiful word that sounding forth, It's, it's it really means echo. So this guitarist, if he puts on the delay pedal, he sounds one note, he puts on the delay pedal and it echoes, it goes, he's saying that's what was happening with the gospel. Your faith was not just about the word preached, but your faith sounded forth. There was a quality of their faith that was actually missional. And that's what God wants. God does not want you to be a cheers church. You know that old series, Cheers. You want to go to a place where everybody knows my name? Da, 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 da. Sometimes, with smaller churches, people join them because they are small. And they say, we're just going to be a warm community. I want to say, please, don't join Chino because right now it's around 100. Join it because God's setting you here. But if you're on mission, it will grow. And you'll have to find ways of developing community, a love that labors, a faith that works, a hope that endures, with more and more people. But if we moralize size, we go, Oh my gosh, you are all these people coming? They are interrupting our community. And Paul is saying, No, no, no. The Word of God will always sound forth. When the gospel is center, community should not be center. Gospel must be center. And when, com- when the gospel is center, you are like a body with a jacket on, the warmth of community, but you've got boots on too. And I want to say, South and Chino, make sure your boots are on. Make sure that you're not so focused on community that you're not out there witnessing to the lost. That you're not out there doing mercy, mercy and justice. Every home group, life group, make sure that there's a missional dynamic because otherwise what happens, you start to get claustrophobic and you just focused on each other and then you offend one another and then you spend all your energy trying to make up. And one of the most beautiful things is when there are new believers in your midst or otherwise people seeking, you actually put your petty little differences aside and say, for the sake of the Great Commission, you're going to lay these aside. So I want to land just with five practical ways that a community can be on mission, and it's it's actually four. No, it's five. <laughs> I'm not sure. The first is just just a recognition. First R is is recognition. That we realize, we recognize that every single one of us are missionaries. That we are not a missionary when we pack our bags and go to an orphanage in Mexico. And we do that. We believe in that. We pack our bags and go and visit the church in Thailand. that it's more than sending out full-time vocational ministries, and we believe in that. It's more than sending out church planters, and we believe in that. But every single believer in the gospel believes Jesus' final words, which is a great commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. What does it mean for every single one of us to own the identity of being a missionary in our own zip code? to go with the same sense of missional alertness that we might pack our bags, but actually as we leave our house, we're going, God, I'm on mission. I'm on mission to my neighbors. I'm on mission to my work colleagues. I'm on mission to my friends. Lord, help me to be awake like that, that there is a recognition. Secondly, that there are rhythms, that we have missionary rhythms Do you have missionary rhythms? Where you say, where I play, where I eat, where I shop. I'm actually not just doing it because it's my favorite place. I'm doing it as a missionary. I want to ask you coffee snobs, and I'm one of them too. Are you willing to drink average coffee for the sake of the gospel? (laughs) I've got my favorite coffee shops, but I realized after a while that there were just Christians in those coffee shops. They were all reading Tim Keller books. I'm like, I like this coffee, but this is not actually the most missional place to be. And am I willing to go to Starbucks, which is less coffee, but there might be more unbelievers there? One of our elders is a Starbucks manager, and I was like, dude, it's okay. I'm willing to drink mediocre coffee for the sake of the gospel. But just in the most faithful, undramatic ways, my wife, who is preaching at Breyer, she wishes she, should, she could be here, but she is just excellent at that. I remember when I started dating her, she was a babysitter, and she babysat for this family, who an Irish family who weren't believers, and um, they had two kids. They were actually atheists, and she just prayed for them every night, prayed for them, You share the gospel with them. One of them now leads a church in South Africa, and the other is a church planting wife in London. And they speak of her sharing the gospel with them at night. I just go, man, never underestimate just the faithfulness of being present, of praying, of being salt and light, of sharing your faith. Think about your rhythms and are they serving the gospel. Thirdly, your relationships. Do you realize that your relationships here are a great defense for the gospel? John 13, 35 says this. Jesus says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You've got love. Come on, let's have like a band in town. Let's get a great speaker. Let's do something cool. I'm not against those, but actually what Jesus says is the most powerful defense of the gospel is your love. That people are in your midst looking to see how you forgive, how you repent, how you reconcile. How do you hold unity in the midst of your diverse cultures and ages and political views a divided world is longing for a united church and the only way we are united is the power of the reconciling gospel. So make sure in your, in your relationships that you've got, you're inviting people in and you're loving one another well. And then the final one I would give, practical R, is repentance. They tell... Paul says, verse 10, they tell how you turn from worthless idols to serve the living and true God. They tell. Who's they? It was people that were receiving the gospel. and They said, ah, we know what repentance looks like because we've seen it in the Thessalonian church. We know that repentance is not just saying sorry. We've seen in them repentance is an about-turn You're going one way, you're serving one thing, you about turn, and you serve Jesus wholeheartedly. South and Shino, this is a powerful gospel act, that you repent well, that you don't repent vaguely, you repent specifically. You know why this is good? It's good for us, because as we repent, we receive the gospel in fresh ways. And it becomes good news to us. But as we repent, a watching world goes, oh, they're not just pointing fingers at us, saying, oh, those terrible people, they're actually recognizing that they are sinners in need of grace. They are repenting, and they're giving me power to repent. Be a people that repent. Repent specifically and repent publicly. It is good for you. It's good for them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that your gospel has saved us but that your gospel is at work shaping us as a community on mission. Jesus, I want to thank you so much for this church. Thank you for their love that labors. Thank you for their faith that works. Thank you for their hope that endures. And I ask that you would catalyze them and provoke them to be a community on mission in fresh ways. Lord We thank you for the commissioning of Anthony and Melody, but Lord, we ask by your Spirit you would commission us all in fresh ways. And I ask even this Easter and in the coming weeks that you would see, that we would see your gospel powerfully transforming us and people around us. May your gospel ring out, not only in the preached word, but in a faith together, a love together together. That is compelling. We pray this in your name. Amen.